Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we are doing an overview of the Opus RFS RINs and Biofuels Forum. And luckily for us, we have two people who were there presenting at the forum this year in Chicago, and they're going to break down what they talked about and some of the things that they discussed and noticed at the forum this year. And so joining me here on the podcast today is Sandra Dunphy. She's the director of Weaver's Energy Compliance Services Division. Sandra, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Tyler. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are thrilled and lucky to have you here on the podcast today. And we're also joined today by Greg Stady. He is a partner in Weaver's Energy Compliance Services Division. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be with you. Excellent. Well, I am, uh, I'm thrilled to have both of you on to, to recap this forum and, and this big event that, that, that happens on a yearly basis. And so um, to kick things off, tell me a, a little bit about yourselves, your backgrounds, your history working in the industry and in energy compliance services, uh, specifically in renewables and biofuels. Um, Sandy, let's, let's start off with you. Tyler, I've been with Weaver almost 11 years now. And uh, I lead the RFS consulting team. So RFS, Renewable Fuel Standard, and um, we help people navigate the regulations to understand kind of the ins and outs of how they work. Um, I'm a civil engineer by degree and um, have been in this role at Weaver since I joined them uh, almost 11 years ago. So there's about uh, five or six people on our team and we help EPA not only navigate the regulations, but we help them with reporting and also with uh, RIN management in the software program that EPA has. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Greg, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your history in the industry as well, your background, and then, then your role at Weaver as well. Sure. So I've been with Weaver uh, since 2012, uh, having joined the firm after several years in private law practice. I'm an attorney by background, but uh, the work that I do at Weaver is of a consulting nature, and that's primarily my role uh, now here with the firm, is uh, is uh, oversight of the consulting part of the practice uh, within Weaver's Energy Consulting Services. Our Energy Consulting Services group focuses on the transportation fuels regulations that affect all of the fuels that go into uh, the, the vehicles that travel the road today. We're talking renewable fuels, gasoline, diesel, uh, compressed natural gas, electricity, you name it. Uh, and our group has a diverse set of backgrounds that reflect the diversity of fuels and regulations and different types of issues that they're confronted with. So as I mentioned, I'm an attorney by background. Uh, I'm one of two uh, attorneys in our group. Uh, we also have uh, probably about a dozen or so uh, folks with an engineering or with uh, with laboratory service backgrounds and, and probably two dozen or more with an accounting background all reflecting, again, the wide variety of, of services that we're offering in response to the requirements of, uh, I should say, the complex requirements of the, the federal and state level regulatory landscape. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really well put and, and speaks to Weaver's, um, you know, widespread and wholesale um, insight that they're able to provide on these topics. And so, like I mentioned, uh, the Opus RFS RINs and Biofuels Forum was recently held in Chicago, and it's considered one of the leading events, uh, leading industry events uh, every year, just year after year. And each of you presented this year. So tell me a little bit about your presentations and the insights that, uh, that you shared at the event. Um, Sandy, let's start off with you. Okay, well, it's appropriate to start with me because I lead off the conference as the first invited speaker. And no pressure, right? Yeah, no pressure. Hmm. But it's actually a role that I relish because 
I get to set up the the whole program for the next couple of days. In other words, I will give an introduction to each of the topics that's going to be discussed and kind of explain to the group what they're going to hear in the next couple of days. It's like a little bit of a, we call it intro to RINs or RINs 101. And um, we don't get in depth on too many topics, but we cover everything that's going to be discussed during the conference. And just the conference itself this year being in person was very exciting to see all the friends and acquaintances we have in the industry. Um, we've been coming to this conference now for many years. Last year was the first time it was virtual. So being back in person was just such a pleasure to actually see people face to face and, and reacquaint ourselves with our good friends in the industry. So Tyler, one of the things that Weaver is somewhat known for over the years is we have had what I'll call renewable fuel mascots. And they've been small stuffed animals. I know it sounds silly, but you know, these are federal regulations, so we have to make them as fun as possible for people to pay attention. And so during right. my presentation, I gave out 12 RIN animals to people who had registered to come to the breakfast that we sponsor like a RIN animal that looks like this. This is a little rhinoceros. Um, he is, of course, the most valuable of all RINs. It's kind of a little backwards there, but his name is War RIN, and he's a D7 rhinoceros. So we had the cellulosalot and the cellulostrich, and of course, how could I forget the bio weasel that we gave <laughs> out at the conference, and they were a real big hit. Um, I think everybody really enjoyed just a little breakup in the um, seriousness of the federal regulation program. Oh my gosh, I love it. I need to get a war in for myself. I, I love that. I, I... <laughs> you play your cards right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it sounds like he stole the show and now he's stealing the podcast. So uh, Warren is <laughs> Warren is quite the star these days. But but Greg, tell us a little bit about uh, about your presentation as well and, uh, and sure. some of the things that you were a part of. Well, Sandy's a hard act to follow. I can always uh, <laughs> say that her True. presentation is routinely uh, the the best attended and received uh, at the uh, the Opus conference. I'll echo her thoughts, though. It was fantastic to be back in person, be able to engage uh, after a year away where the conference was held uh, was solely virtual. Uh, it was nice to be back uh, in person to meet with people and and to you know to. To, to get to know some folks that we've been introduced to over the last year plus, in many cases, only virtually. Uh, my specific presentation, which I shared with my colleague, Ashley Player, uh, was one that focused on feedstocks and other uh, issues that are an obstacle, or I should say that are at least presented with some significant challenges under the current treatment of the RFS regulations. So, both of our presentations were very heavy on the the regulatory framework for renewable fuels, uh, but mine in particular focused on some of the challenges within the existing regulatory structure that that could inhibit the expansion of opportunities for renewable fuels and their associated feedstocks under the, the again the current regulations. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And uh, so outside of the things that, that, that you both presented at the forum um, and, and at the conference, what other must-know subjects and issues were covered? What, what else really stood out to the two of you? Um, so I will say that uh, this presentation, this timing of the conference this year was quite interesting. Uh, we have annual objectives that EPA publishes or so is supposed to publish each and every year 
of the, the period of the regulations. We have now been waiting for an announcement from EPA related to this year, 2021, the, the standards that they want the industry to try to meet. These are called the renewable volume obligations. And normally the, the Congress intended that we have those by the end of November in the year prior to the compliance year. So that would have been November of last year. Ironically, in the conference last year, we said we were awaiting EPA's announcement, and here we are a year later, we're still waiting for that announcement. So I think everyone was anxious to hear what insights do these folks in, or all these presenters, what do they have? Um, what do they know about what's going to be published by EPA? Are the numbers going to be bearish? Are they going to be bullish? How will that impact the price of RINs in the marketplace? And unfortunately, none of us had the, the ideal, super clear crystal ball as to what those numbers would be. We're still waiting today, and um, here we are in October, and we don't have the numbers from EPA yet. So it was a very interesting um, time to hear the perspectives of all these different market participants as to what they think EPA is going to do going forward. Greg, is there anything you'd like to add to, to Sandy's comments there just about uh, some of the other big topics? I'll add that that Sandy's keyed in on uh, an important issue, which is the uncertainty surrounding the near-term uh, mandates that uh, the, the EPA is responsible for implementing under the Clean Air Act. But there are a number of additional uh, initiatives, both led by the EPA and then of a broader nature, uh, some of which are being led uh, with a more industry focus that we learned a lot about. One of the things that I found the most interesting were the presentations related to sustainable aviation fuel. Sustainable aviation fuel to date has been incentivized under the Federal Renewable Fuel Standard Program, but not necessarily required to participate. It, it, despite the lack of sort of a clear mandate for the use of sustainable aviation fuels, we have seen a significant uh, it, push towards the adoption of broader use of renewable and sustainable aviation fuels by the airline sector. There are goals that have been set by that industry that aim to uh, have as much as 3 billion gallons of SAF uh, acquired and consumed by the largest airlines by the middle of the next decade. And those are in service of some even larger uh, uh, goals that have been set towards the reduction, reducing, uh, towards the reduction of carbon emissions uh, to levels 50 percent below 1990 levels by the year 2050. This is an industry that, in the absence of a direct regulatory incentive, is taking strong steps towards a broader adoption of renewables and lowering their greenhouse gas footprint. And it certainly seems one that, well, we're already seeing it, uh, that there will be significant opportunity to, to work closely with them in the future because they have made the reduction of their greenhouse gas footprint a priority. So Greg, were there any additional issues raised regarding feedstock at the conference that, that, that you want to mention here on the podcast? Yeah, so feedstock is essentially the other side of the coin uh, for as expensive expanded as the opportunity appears to be for sustainable aviation fuels and, and for a variety of other renewable fuels in general, it can't be produced without sufficient qualifying feedstock. Uh, 
And there have been a number of uh, concerns noted in our industry about whether or not there will be sufficient renewable low carbon feedstocks to meet the demands of the emerging sectors and to satisfy the the mandates that uh, that the federal government as well as certain state governments are pursuing. This is going to be a central issue for those who are developing these projects, but also those who are like us, who are compliance professionals, whose job it is to help review and assess the validity of the feedstocks that are used to produce these qualifying fuels. We think that there's opportunities to work with the EPA and other state uh, agencies to expand these opportunities, but they will need to be addressed in the near term for these programs and these fuels to have success. Excellent stuff, Greg. Thank you for for breaking that down for us and, and talking about some of the, the the primary trends and primary topics that was discussed at this year's conference. And so looking ahead to next year, what sorts of trends do you see emerging, Sandy? Uh, kick us off with, uh, with what trends you see coming up uh, for next year's conference. Gosh, this is going to be an exciting year. There's so much going on right now in the industry. We're looking at electric vehicles and hydrogen powered vehicles. And as Greg said, sustainable aviation fuel is definitely flavor of the year, if you want to put it that way. It's of such great interest to people. And we're also going to see this renewable diesel production really begin to pick up pace and start playing a bigger role in the market. So stay tuned because the things happening in the RFS are exciting. And of course, we're also waiting for EPA to publish something about what they plan to do for 2023 and beyond when they take over the program, basically, from the congressional annual mandated standards and start setting the volumes on their own. We're waiting to see what other changes EPA is going to bring into the program that's still within the, the legislative framework, but yet maybe something new and different that they haven't really thought um, would work before, but now the market's changed and maybe they're going to propose some new things. So I think it's a pretty exci exciting time to be in this industry. Absolutely. Greg, follow up on the, uh, on Sandy's comments there and let us know what you're excited about for next year. I mean, I think she really has uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of the diversity of opportunity that we are, are seeing uh, you know, being promoted at a federal level. I'd couple that with that we are seeing the expansion and growth of state level renewable fuel incentives, uh, whether it's specifically targeting uh, that the fuels uh, that, that they're trying to promote are renewable or that they be low carbon. And that's where I think we'll see expanded opportunities uh, over the course of the next few years. We already have in place uh, in, in the US uh, two significant low carbon fuel standard programs that are entirely administered at the state level. That's in Oregon and in California, which was the, the first such program to be adopted. Another program in the state of Washington has been authorized and, and will be uh, uh, if the Washington uh, uh, energy regulator uh, stays on target, will be in place by the end of next year. There are similar initiatives that are being discussed that are at different levels of their evolution uh, in the Midwest and the U.S. East Coast. But what we're seeing is essentially the development of a two-tier market, one in which there is a federal renewable fuel incentive that's administered in the RFS program, and then additional state-level incentives for low-carbon fuels under, again, the various state-level initiatives. We would expect that to continue, or at least expect that to be an issue that requires very close tracking uh, 
uh, over the next few years in order to best position all these different fuels and opportunities that Sandy's mentioned, uh, where they'll be able to, to deliver the most value, both from an emissions and from a monetary standpoint. We also think thinking beyond specifically the fuel sector, the the regulated entities uh, within the U.S. that have a financial disclosure investment are are increasingly becoming aware of their incentives, if not obligations, to disclose their emissions portfolio. The the tracking of matters under ESG reporting uh, and the clarification of standards for how you quantify the emissions, whether you are the owner of a widget factory or the the owner of a portfolio of various assets, all should be thinking about the means by which their their footprint uh, for greenhouse gases uh, should be quantified and how that should be conveyed to stakeholders uh, and potentially uh, to regulators who are increasingly looking at the space. So we know that this is a space that has evolved quite a bit over time and uh, and is constantly evolving, right? And that's why conferences and forums like this are so valuable. So how has your work evolved over the course of your careers with respect to compliance in this space? And how has the industry evolved as well? Sandy, uh, kick us off just with, with the evolution that you've seen. Well, I've been involved in the RFS program since its inception back in the 2005-2006 timeframe. And you know, RINs were very inexpensive then. People viewed them as more of a nuisance. They'll never hold any value, and the program is easy to meet. And then as the years went on and the standards increased and it became more defined in terms of what what EPA needed to do. Um, in two five, 2005 and six, we were under a different regime. We called that RFS1. But 2007, when that law was passed and then EPA implemented a lot of changes effective 2010, it really morphed the market and morphed it in a, in a good way. It focused on renewable biomass feedstocks. It focused on new fuels and really the, the opportunities abound for creativity in the market. And I mean that in a good way, not creativity, you know, to make a fake grin or something, but really new feedstocks, new processes. I have companies call me every day now with a new process for how they're going to take all different types of renewable biomass, even some of the more difficult um, feedstocks to use, such as municipal solid waste or um, agricultural residues, uh, woody biomass feedstock, switchgrass, all of these things that, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have the technology, we really didn't have the ability to make fuels. And now, here we are years later, and the market has really advanced, it is matured. And these new technologies are coming into the market, such that these these feedstocks will be more available and we'll be able to turn them into fuels that we can use for the future. So I guess the difference years ago, we were kind of naive and there was only two basic fuels. There was ethanol and biodiesel. Now we have a plethora of fuels and um, it's a pretty exciting time to be in the market. And I think we see a big change towards the lower carbon technologies, right? Even the Oil companies who have been producing gasoline and diesel for years now looking at converting their 
big facilities into running renewable feedstocks wouldn't have been imaginable 10 years ago. And now it seems like every other day we have such a that type of announcement. So pretty exciting um, time. And and I think um, the next 10 years is going to be equally exciting. And, and the innovativeness of this whole entire industry is really something to be admired. I think each of these efforts uh, towards the expansion of different feedstocks or fuel types or opportunities uh, are, are something of a risk reward. We are pushing the boundaries of uh, the, the decarbonization of the U.S. transportation fuel sector. We are seeing different applications for power for natural gas, for, for landfill gas to be used as alternatives to traditional liquid fuels. I mean, like Sandy, I have been working in this space since the original inception of the renewable fuels regulations, what Sandy referred to as RFS1. And we have seen the evolution of this space beyond the traditional liquid fuels into different areas. What we are, I think we're seeing more and more in our practice is how these opportunities not only are pushing the boundaries of decarbonization, but they're pushing the boundaries of what was originally conceived when the RFS regulations were authorized by Congress. We are routinely presented with questions from prospective clients who might want to use, we'll just call it feedstock X, that they think is a wonderful reuse of a material that, that may otherwise go into a landfill. but they're unable to recognize incentives for that, that feedstock material or their finished fuel because the RFS regulations that are uh, derived from their congressional mandate are limited in the types of opportunities that can be incentivized. We're not here to advocate for any particular change. It's more a matter of identifying what are the types of opportunities that are currently viable in order to focus resources. And if not incentivized at a federal level, where might there be alternative markets, such as at the state level, the low carbon uh, uh, fuel standard initiatives that I'd mentioned earlier, where might those provide a supplement in the absence of a federal incentive? So we're seeing basically a push and pull between innovation and the, the limits on the incentives that could spur on that innovation. And like Sandy said, I think it will be in a very exciting uh, few years as these two tensions are resolved, hopefully resolved. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how this continues to develop and what these next uh, couple of uh, several of years look like. Um, you guys have me on the edge of my seat now as uh, as we look forward to what the future looks like. And so uh, are there any future or upcoming conferences for the rest of 2021 that people should keep their eye on uh, where you may either be sponsoring or presenting or anything along those lines? Uh, Sandy, do you have any insights that you can share with us on, on upcoming conferences? Uh, yeah, there are a couple that we're going to be participating in. Greg, do you want to go over? I think you're going to be attending some in California. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be attending uh, the L Low Carbon Markets uh, Conference uh, hosted by Argus Media, uh, which is in lovely Napa in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and then later uh, uh, in the month of November, we'll actually be moderating a panel at uh, an annual event that is hosted by the Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition. Uh, <clears throat> 
so uh, plenty going on in this space and uh, hopefully more opportunities to get out for us to go and, and uh, meet more of our clients face to face. Yeah. And hopefully we'll also go to the RNG coalition, the Renewable Natural Gas Coalition conference in California again in December. So um, barring any other for unforeseen circumstances, <laughs> which you never can predict nowadays, um, we'll, we're hopeful that that will still take place in person. Well, excellent stuff. Thank you both so much for joining me today and uh, and really giving us an overview uh, of the recent conference and forum uh, of which both of you were, were presenters at. Thank you again so much to Sandra Dunphy and Greg Stady for joining us here on Weaver Beyond the Numbers. Thank you both so much. You're more than Thank welcome. you, Tyler. Thank it's good you. to be with you. Absolutely. And everyone out there, thank you so much for joining us here for this episode of the podcast. We appreciate having you along very much. Be sure to visit weaver.com for more information. And you can also reach out there, ask more questions. If you have, uh, if you want more info on anything that we discussed here on the podcast today, you can do that right there on weaver.com and stay up to date with the latest episodes of Beyond the Numbers with Weaver, of course. But for this episode, thank you once again to my guests. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again soon.